This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates Podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Emily Smith from ABC TV. Emily has been working in the media industry for over a decade in radio and television, both here in Australia and overseas. She chats about getting her big break at 2SM, being made redundant at 2UE after a week, and making the transition to television during a stint overseas. Emily is someone who I respect and admire greatly, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Emily Smith, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Now, you're working at ABC TV in Melbourne. How's that going? That's right. I'm uh, with the News Breakfast program that's filmed out of Melbourne, and it's fantastic. That's the hosted by Michael Rowland and Virginia Trioli, and I'm loving it. And how long have you been there for now? I've been with News Breakfast for two years uh, and with the ABC for coming on six, I think, which is shocking to me that I've been there. But that time has just flown. How quickly does time go when you are in this sort of media fast-paced thing that just seems to pick up pace every year, year upon year? It's crazy. and you know, It's crazy. And you only kind of realise that you've been around for a while when um, you talk about stories that you covered and a junior producer will go, oh, I was in primary school when that happened. <laughs> you just like go, oh, my God, I'm old. Yeah, that's not, um, that's not fun when you sort of go from the one that was the junior burger to the one that's <laughs> like now the old season sort of pro. It's sort of like a stark yeah. reminder of the fact that, like, you always enjoyed being referred to as the young one and now you're not. Yeah. Yes, and I thought joining the ABC, I would still be the young one at 33, but sadly, not in my team. We have a lot of young people and it makes me feel old. So let's go back and discuss, I guess, where it all sort of started for you. Was journalism or radio or TV or media more in particular something that was always that you were going to work towards, something that was always on your radar at school? Yeah, absolutely. I was I was one of those kids that knew exactly what they wanted to do. Um I I actually wanted to be a sports journalist. Um, I was obsessed with the Sydney Swans and news was in my family and I sort of was always surrounded by newspapers. And um, But when I discovered that I loved AFL, I was just determined that I was going to be one day a columnist um, for, the, you know, for one of the major papers talking about AFL and be a boundary writer. And I was determined and I actually thought I'd be a sports journalist, but that sort of changed. There's obviously a good reason why I, I like you then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> being an old sort of sports guy myself. But um, so how did that then evolve? So you've obviously said that you were sort of brought up around that sort of thirst and, mm. and wanting to find out things with media and newspapers and things like that. I think that's something that I guess a lot of people that I've spoken to seems to be a bit of a, a common trait that, you know, if their parents were sort of reading of the paper and consuming the news, it just sort of seemed to be a natural sort of fit for the, the kids to sort of follow suit, as it were. Yeah, well, I, I never realised um, until I was much older that, um, that, that that was different from every family. I thought every family fought about the newspapers in the morning and we always, like, who could get to the breakfast table first to get the section of paper they wanted? Um, and I thought that was common. <laughs> I guess it wasn't. Uh, so I think that had a, a, a huge sort of this background thing. I never thought I would, I never thought of it in a way of, oh, you know, one day I'd like to get into news like my parents got into news. Um, it was more that, oh, yeah, you're just interested in news. Everyone is, isn't there? And I couldn't believe it when I got to university and I met people that didn't know who, like, the transport minister was. Like, how do you not know that? Everyone knows that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a bit bizarre, isn't it? It's like two separate worlds. It's obviously, you know, you're a big consumer of media or you're not, and I just found it weird also as well that people wouldn't watch the news at night. I'm just like, what other program is on? Yeah, absolutely. I thought everyone at, at 6 o'clock sat down and watched the news. Uh, I just I thought that was sort of 
a habit. You had to do that. So with that career goal in mind, setting that up for yourself through high school and then um, obviously looking for opportunities at, at university, um, you managed to sort of, I guess, study hard like most people and, and get in. Where was it? CSU for you? It was CSU. I have to say I didn't study hard. <laughs> I, didn't. I, um, I, I wasn't a, a, a great student, but um, CSU was that place where um, uh, they really drew anything to you about how tough it was to get into the industry and what you needed was experience um, and it was very, very practical. And they told us in our very first lecture, half of you won't be here by the end of the degree and they were right. Um, and it was just about sort of that dogged, you go for it and you work really hard outside um, of all the classes and in the classes. It was very, very practical. Um, and I think that's shown because so many people from my year, the year above me, um, the year below me, I, I work with now and they've just done so well. Uh, and I think that's because it was just droned into us that you got to work really hard and if you don't want it bad, don't bother. You mentioned earlier that you sort of had that goal of, of being a, a sports reporter or being a columnist um, about AFL, how did it then progress to where you are now? So obviously your, I guess, your views or your, um, I guess, realistic goals would have been formulated by what you were studying at the time and the, the work experience that you would have done at CSU? Yeah, it sort of, um, I started off actually like doing double degree in sport and journalism and I kind of realised that I didn't need to do the sports side and I, I desperately just wanted to get out and work in a newsroom. So I, I ended up just doing straight journalism and it was through lots of internships and um, experience at the uni that I now radio, I had never even thought of radio um, until I started doing some uh, work experience and in particular um, my very first 2GB work experience and I was just hooked and I thought this is so much fun and it works well because I'm not a hugely patient person mm-hmm. um, and it works, you know, you just you, you get information and you get it out and I love that. I love that sort of quick turnaround and that speed. So take me through that experience of first walking through a place like 2GB and having that first taste of it with work experience and what kind of an an eye-opener it was for you and what the moment was that it actually dawned on you that you thought, this is it. Um, I think um, I was lucky that I had friends that were a bit older than me that had sort of, they were starting their careers and they kind of talked me through about what to expect in these kind of internships. And I knew that going into 2GB that they have a different person every week. And if you want to make your mark, you've got to be smart and you've got to work really hard. And um, it was really daunting because these newsrooms, as you know, they're full on. They are full on. Everyone, There's so much noise in there made by a very few amount of people, but Jesus allowed a bunch of people, broadcasters. Um, and you've got to go in there and you've got to try and figure out how to not get in the way, um, but how also not to be a wallflower. And that's a really hard um, balance. That's a really hard balance, not to annoy people and to be helpful, but also not to be a know-it-all. Um, and I was really lucky because there were the, the, sort of the rounds reporters at the time then were um, so good to me and they really took their time and they pushed me to come back and come back and I just kept coming back. I ended up doing about four or five months' worth of um, work experience at 2GB. Uh, So I was very lucky, very lucky. How important is it to have a positive experience like that? Because like you say, there's a lot of work experience kids, probably less these days I would assume, but the fact that you can go in there and you can sit on the chair and not say boo, but you can also sort of sit there and observe but also allow that learning process to take place given the right people because not everybody in that work experience scenario is as generous as perhaps your experience would have been at at 2GB because ultimately they've got a a job to do as well. Absolutely. You don't want to get in their way and you know um, that you're one of so many um, that come through. And I, I remember uh, it was Ilka Burnham-King and Amy Meehan 
who um, said to me really bluntly, and I really appreciate it in a very nice way, but they would have said, we get a lot of you guys, like you've got to, you've got to make the most of this. So I'm going to give you opportunities, but you've got to take them and I'm not going to push. And so they gave me these, like every time I went out with them, they'd go, where's your story? You write as I write. And then they'll look at it and go, we'll see what I did here and this is what you should do differently or I like that or you're not quick enough or write better, you know. So that was the, the they knew they had only just, they were only a couple of years into their careers. Um, so they got it and they understood what I was trying to do. And I just, um, there's a whole bunch of them uh, there at 2GB at that time and also at 2UE, I should point out, the opposition were <laughs> really lovely. Um, they would really work on it, but I had to show that I wanted to work on it. And I think it's so important because I think a lot of a lot of interns come out thinking uh, that sort of it's all going to happen for them. You've got to work for it. They've got a job to do and they're trying to prove themselves to their bosses as well. So you can't get in their way of doing that. So do you issue that kind of tough love when you have work experience or have come across work experience? Yeah kids that you've sort of had to sort of take under your wing a little bit and yeah like you said you can sort of pick the ones that are going to be really committed from the ones that are there just to tick off the work experience box as part of their curriculum yeah you're so right actually because there are there's obviously a lot of university have that sort of work experience um uh, element to their course and you, you know when people are there for that um i uh, i look after the interns um, at our news breakfast, we've got a really intense internship program, uh, and we have some terrific people. And some of our team are actually ex interns. They've proven themselves, and they've worked really hard. Three, four members of our current team are ex interns, and I just think that shows. And I tell when we get a new intern, I'm like, "Here is what you can do. Here's what you should do. Here's what you can do." And hey, look at these. I'm going to introduce these guys because these, um, you know, um, Kelsey was you six months ago. Luke was you, you know, a year ago. Mahalia was you two years ago. Look at it. She's running the desk now. Like, and, and I want people to see that. And the the the, the ones who want it um, really go for it, and you can see it. And I, I suppose I'm. I think because I have that two GP background, it's probably a bit tough love because I think 2GB had that sort of tough love um, and it really, I think it worked because you saw a lot and you know all these amazing um, journos that are now that started at 2GB and they learnt the same way um, and I think that's a good way at times to learn. Given the fact that you were, I guess, shown the ropes mm-hmm. and learnt how, I guess, the structure of things were put together and how to, you know, compile it a news bulletin, how to put together a voicer and how to do all those things that, you know, you learn over time when you work in radio. So from that work experience level, how did you then get those tools and put them together in a, in a practical sense for a job or how did you get your first job? Yeah. Uh, my first sort of like uh, proper full-time paid job was with 2SM in Sydney, um, uh, which is still one of the most favourite jobs I've ever had. I came through with this amazing group of girls like Joe Spears, um, Victoria Owens, Tori Murphy, Olivia Zazzi, a bunch of people um, that I'm still really good mates with. And we, um, I got the 2SN job, I, I think, off the back of all my work experience at 2GB. And I remember going in for the interview for 2SN. It was actually to be there to be a, a news reader in, I think, Lismore, but they gave me the Sydney job. Um, and I, uh, Justin Kelly, who was the news director at 2GB at the time, uh, I told him I was going for this job interview at 2SM and he was like, all right, let's sit down and do a practice interview. And, oh, my God, that was <laughs> so intimidating, being interviewed by the news director of 2GB, even though I knew it was a practice. Um, but, geez, it really prepared me and I still remember what he told me in that meeting, that that interview, fake interview, and I think I was off the back of that that I got this um, amazing opportunity at 2SM in Sydney. So what's that like going into there? You've secured the job. You've admired the wonderful carpet there at 2SM. And then, <laughs> oh, uh, gross, the, <laughs> and then uh, you know, if you were half lucky, you ran into a uh, tracksuit-wearing Bill Carras. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, yeah. What was it like that first time on air, like having to read a news bulletin once you sort of were, were thrown out there, you secured yeah. the job, but... 
okay, it's game on now. Like, what was that like? Uh, it's it was so intimidating. It is so intimidating. And especially Reed, I, I kind of felt confident that I could report because I um, at 2GB they let me sort of go out and do a lot of writing and practising and all that. So, I, I mean, I wasn't overconfident, but I thought I can do the reporting. But reading was just something I didn't, uh, you know, I'd had a go at at uni and I, I thought I was terrible at it. Um, so mm. that was so intimidating. And, and to us then you do the rural uh, regional bulletins as well. And I don't know how to pronounce the name of the town. You make all these stupid mistakes and um, you hear about it. You really hear about it from listeners. Uh, and they can dent your confidence a bit. So it's it's... Um, it was absolutely exhilarating after working so hard to finally uh, be working in a newsroom um, and be given those opportunities. Uh, and I just didn't want to stuff it up. I just didn't want to, to make a mistake. I guess it's a common sort of, uh, I guess, feeling for, for most people is wanting to make the most of that mm. first opportunity and put your best foot forward. But mm. in that 2SM scenario, and I've, I've spoken to a, a number of people that have sort of come through there and it, it just really seems to be, while it's derided by a lot of people, a really mm. strong breeding ground for talent to be developed. So while it's a Sydney commercial station, they don't actually feature in the, the ratings as, mm. as such, but it's also one of those places that is kind of like a, a work experience place, but yeah. it's for real. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it's um, it makes... I think that's sort of where you uh, start to develop a thick skin, which, as you know, like it's so important to have a thick skin in this industry because, as you say, people do um, can deride it and they, and they um, you know, you'll turn up at a press conference with your beaten old um, 2SM mic. <laughs> and um, uh, I was really lucky because because I'd done stuff at GB that I had sort of known a few people. So I'd go, I'd rock up to a press conference and a lovely, like, Daniel Sutton would go, oh, hi, Em, I remember you. Yeah, come here, like, push your way in. But then you'd go to State Parliament. And, I mean, I don't know if you remember what it was like when you first went to State Parliament. And you were this kid and you knew that everyone's like, what are you doing here? You have no idea what this latest development in this PPP plan of the blah, blah, blah. And you didn't. You had no idea. No. Um, and you were just trying to be professional. And it was um, really, really intimidating. Um, but, God, you learn really quickly because you're just thrown out there. Uh, and I've got to say, um, Diane Kermigarland, who was the news director um, at the time, and she nurtures a lot of you through a lot of that because, I mean, she sees a lot of very green people like myself come through. Um, and, you know, you can make a fool out of yourself a bit and... Um, yeah, it was a really lovely, supportive environment amongst that um, particular group of girls that I'm still mates with, that you'd come off air and go, oh, I'd bugger that up. Oh, my God, I stuffed that up completely. And they'd go, oh, it's okay. It's fine. Um, and it was really, really nice. A, it was the most wonderful place to start. I feel like you used that as a place to get all of those rookie errors out of your system? Oh, yeah. Um, unfortunately... I did still continue to make rookie errors, but yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, made the really big ones that they didn't, um, you know, because when I eventually went back as a, a, a proper journalist at 2GP and, geez, when you made those errors there, what did you know about it? Um, at 2SM, you, they went, all right, just get on the back on the horse for the next hour. So, you, yeah, they, they were pretty forgiving about some of the errors and I think... Um, I learned some pretty harsh lessons at 2SM, which was really good and um, gave me a good grounding for the future. I guess that's the, the great thing about it is that, well, radio in particular, I kind of feel as though you've almost got an, an automatic adjustment to make because you've got to get on with it because you've got the next hour coming up or the next half an hour coming up. So you can't afford to dwell on those mistakes too long because it's probably in a bit of a sort of sporting analogy in that you're only as good as your last bulletin and there's always another one coming up so you've got another opportunity it's not like you have one crack at it yeah you've got there's another one coming along in the not yeah. too distant future yeah and you and you know you would listen to if you knew you stuffed it up or if you thought oh, I just think I could do that better um and you'd listen to how your competitors would do it 
and you'd go, all right, that's kind of like that's a bit better or you chat to the news director or, or the political editor or whatever and you would have a chat about how you could make it better for that next hour. Um, and I think that's a great thing about radio. People pick you up. Listeners care. You're in their car. You're in their home and they'll pick you up when you're wrong. Um, but you just, you know, all is forgiven if you can get it right next time. And also I think with that rural setup that you mentioned at 2SM is that sometimes you might be going in there into the booth and recording a few bulletins in a row. So if yeah. you've got it wrong that first time, well, there's another go and then there's another yeah. go. So it really would be, I guess, a good way to just improve just your general reading and general emphasis on different words, cutting certain words out that didn't work for you. Yeah. That kind of training in a proper work environment is really priceless. Uh, it's it's terrific. And I think, like, I remember um, I, I did mostly reporting at S2SM, which was, like, which was a dream. But I had said, oh, I need, to, I need to be a reader. Like, I can't be scared about this forever. So I asked to do overnight shifts on a Friday and I'll do every Friday of night, which, you know, made me really popular in the newsroom because I put my hand up for that dreaded shift. Um, but um, I would come out of the bulletin after reading and at that time, Heidi Tilton used to read the two UE evening bulletins, and she has the most, I just think, the most beautiful voice and just this great read. So I would read my bulletin, I'd come straight out, listen to her bulletin, listen back to what I would record my bulletin so I could hear how I went, and then compare it, like, um, you know, compare side by side how we did so I could practice and sound more like Heidi and see how she did it. Um, and um, that was a really good thing about uh, that time because you can experiment a bit with your uh, your voice and your intonation. And like you say, oh, she did that well because she didn't have as many words in that sentence to say as I did. I wrote a really bad sentence there. How important is that as well to identify the fact that you may have a really complex story unfolding in front of you, but ultimately you've probably got 20 or 30 seconds to explain mm. the story, including audio. How mm. do you think that helped with your writing style and how to formulate a, a bulletin and all of those things? Because it's really important. I think what a lot of people don't realise is that I think radio people are probably, in media terms, one of the better sort of operators because they don't have a thousand words to explain something mm. that you would have in a, in a newspaper or they don't have a minute and a half to put together a TV package. you got to get it yeah. wrapped up in that short time frame. Oh, yeah. That's, that's really, it's a, it's a skill. I think it's an underrated skill to make something really complicated, uh, very simple, um, and you have to get your head around it also with really tight deadlines. So it's not like you can sit on it and go, oh, I can cut this bird out here and there. Like You're just bang, bashing them out. So it is, uh, a t I think you get better with, with practice on that. Um, and I, I think some stories really for early on really forced me to figure that out, that skill out early, um, you know, a really complicated court story or um, um, uh, I did that week kickback um, AWB inquiry yeah. and when I was at 2SM, which was just like way above my head. It was so complicated. And I just remember thinking, you got to keep it simple because if you don't get it, um, then your audience isn't going to get it. So I think that made me, like, really be economic with words. But it's really hard. I don't know how, like, I've never worked in FM um, uh, like you, and I think that's really, I don't know how FM reporters do it because they have even a shorter amount of time. They're often given 20 seconds to do a voice -up. Like, how do you, how, how different is that? You've done it both. How do you find that? Like you say, it's a really difficult skill to sort of master, but, but I kind of just relate it back to how would I tell my mum about it or how would I say it if I'm going to sum it up in the shortest amount of time. So just pick the absolute guts out of the story and explain what it actually is and then that's it. And then just like if there's, if I feel like the sentence is too long, I'll look at a way to like just shorten it down so mm. it may even be like 10 words or something. But essentially you're getting that main part of the, the story out there and and what it's about and I kind of feel as though also proper use of audio can be your friend so instead of dragging out like a, a long 20 second grab which is just ridiculous get the talent to explain what the story is um, and mm. have that wrapped up in 
five, six, seven, eight seconds. Like, and it takes the pressure off you having to explain it. So it's it's the use of the language that you use as an introduction, but also the use of the good or the as I sort of everyone sort of refers to it, the money grab. Like, yeah. you've got to be able to use that properly. Yeah, so true. Because when you think about really good journalists, you actually don't notice them at all in a piece because they they let the talent tell the story. Um, and that's true. You, that's You've got to focus on that. So you had that great learning experience at, at 2SM. What was next then for you? <laughs> it was a bit of a rocky road next because um, I got a, uh, a job offer at 2UE, which I was thrilled about, and I went and took. Um, and it was short-lived because I started on the Monday and on the Friday morning they announced mass redundancies and I was called into the office and um, said, you're last in, first out. And I was just shocked because <laughs> um, I didn't know anyone that had been made redundant before. I didn't had an experience. I was only, you know, six months into my career at that stage. Um, so that was a... That was uh, what I thought was just devastating at the time. Within days, it turned out to be like one of the best opportunities I had. And I did a bit of freelancing work um, with 2GB, the Today Show, and then went to AAP for six months, which was terrific, and then eventually back into 2GB full-time. So take me through that mortifying experience of like being there for like a week like you know I think if you've been in media long enough you experience a couple of rounds of uh, redundancies or cutbacks or or whatever if you're in it for any length of time you're not going to not experience that whether it's you're the victim of it or whether you see close mates and colleagues of yours be the victim of the bottom line on a spreadsheet what was it like after a week and especially so yeah. much in your career? Like yeah. that is a, a huge kick in the guts. <laughs> it was. I was, I, um, like it shows my naivety because I had no idea that it was coming. And I should, now that you've been around me, I, I should have read the signs that morning because some people were being called in one by one to the, to the news director's office. Oh, the one by um, one meeting is never a good one. sign. I know. And, uh, um, lining up uh, for execution. Oh, it was like that. It was like that. And I was asked to fill in um, paperwork, like have my bank account details and what have you that morning. So I thought I was going in to hand over like my TFND to, um, details yeah. um, and they're like, you've got to sit down um, where we're announcing redundancies, 30 people are going across the network and you're one of them. And I just went, so what? Like, no, I said, I haven't done anything wrong yet. You haven't had me on air yet. Like, Cause there was, they were really a lot um, gentler to you when you started, you sort of like had a, I had a proper like shadowing and, like proper training that first week to get me up to ne- the next few weeks. So I was like, I haven't even done a story yet. How do you, you don't want to get rid of me. You don't even know it. <laughs> um, and they're like, no, sorry, you've got to, you got to go. And I, um, uh, because I, like, you know, the media, media loves talking about the media. And um, so it was a story. It became a story. And because I, um, there was a, a poor guy there, um, who in another department who had been at TV for decades and he got made redundant and then there was me, so two ends of the scale. So um, I had journalists calling me because they wanted, word got out and it became a story. I was on the AAP wire <laughs> oh, and, and, you know, one reporter, Emily Smith, had only been there for four days and I just oh. couldn't believe that was the story and um, I turned off my phone. I had no idea. I, I was told, take, I got a payout, which was amazing. Um, I was told, take your pay out, go overseas, have travel, have fun, be young. And I'm so glad I did not take that advice at that point because um, it was actually an amazing opportunity because after I turned my phone back on a few days later, um, you know, a couple of days later, I had, like, messages from news directors that had said, oh, we heard what happening, happened to you. We're looking for juniors. Come in for a meeting. Um, and... And the news director at TUA was, um, had put me forward for a few things, so which was great. So, um, you know, Tom Malone was the EP at Today Show called and I got a six-week contract there and um, I felt like, like okay, it's all going to be okay. Um, and then Ray Halley talked about me on air. So, um, uh, so Ian Ferguson, the news director at 2GB, said, I don't have much but I've got four shifts free that I need to fill on weekends. So I worked something like 60 days straight 
just taking all these opportunities that came my way and what I thought was horrific um, was actually just this, the best thing that could have happened. So just throwing yourself into that and being available for all of those opportunities, I think that's probably what most of us yeah. do in that situation in media because you would have learned fairly quickly is that, you know, it can all just come crashing down mm. in a short space of time. So I think any sort of media person is always fearful of that. So okay. you say, say yes to everything and then work out how you're going to do it after that. Yeah. Like it's hard to explain to people who haven't been in media that you live in constant fear for your job. Yeah, you do. And because there's always <laughs> someone that's really good and that's around the corner and you're like, they could take my job at any second. So, yeah, yeah, you do live, you live on this sort of edge a fair bit. But how does that make you determined to make yourself good so that you don't get sacked or you're not the next victim of the round of redundancy. So you want to make yourself or put yourself in that position where you can do as many things as possible so that you look like you're a valuable asset to your employer? Absolutely. And and like now more than ever, um, that's the case because you can't just be a specialist in one area now. You have to be everything. You have to know digital. You have to know how to edit you know, you have to know how to write. You have to know everything. So I think that um, um, that lesson of just throw yourself in, say yes to everything. I had no idea what I was doing at the Today Show. And now that I work in breakfast television again and I look back at the things that I produced when I was at the Today Show as a 21-year-old, I'm just I'm like, oh, wow, that wasn't very good at all. <laughs> it wasn't very So I think I just had no idea and I just said, you got to do it, um, just do it because you never know what's going to happen. And I needed to pay rent as well. Yeah, you need to eat, you need to yeah. um, pay rent. So it's yeah. pretty important sort of stuff to keep that that income coming in regardless of where the opportunity might be. But did you look back on that now and just sort of think, what a fantastic opportunity mm. to broaden my skill set over that period where you lost your job in a short space of time but then were able to open yourself up or open your eyes up to different levels of of media jobs yeah absolutely um and I think it also helped me figure out what I really um wanted to wanted and I think it made me a lot more confident as well you know there's a couple of opportunities which didn't really feel right and I think they knew that and I didn't I knew that and um it sort of made me feel like no like people do want you (laughs) Uh, so work hard at making everything work right and be polite and generous to everyone because you never know who you're going to meet again um so don't burn bridges and be professional um and I think that was it was a people told me at the time more experienced people this will be the best thing that ever happened to you and I was like (laughs) no it's my end of the world um you just, but want no, drink, just want to drink yourself to death and just forget about the day. Yeah. Um. I got incredibly <laughs> drunk that night, to be fair. I, I remember the news director gave me a, um, a cab charge to go home, which was like, you know, when you're 21, that was worth so much money to me. Um, uh, so I got a cab to go home and um, Simon Robson became my friend that day because he was working in the newsroom and he saw that I was upset and went, I'm going to take you to the taxi. And we got chatting, we became good mates that day. And he's like, take that cab charge and you just go straight to the bottle shop. <laughs> and I did. And I went and bought myself a bottle of wine, turned off the phone and waited for my oh. husband to come home. <laughs> and, um, yeah, oh. But, yeah, that's how I made some really good friends through that period and learned a lot. And what was the experience at AAP like? You mentioned that you were there for yeah. six months. Um, was, what is it that you were doing there? I was um, a sub-editor on the broadcast desk. Um, it was terrific because I think that's really where I honed in on writing because I was subbing, 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 and you're taking big chunks of copy off the agencies and you're making it into something that the um, the idea is that any radio station around the country that subscribes can take your copy and go straight into a, new, into a booth and read it and it should be perfect and tight and concise. And um, so that kind of really helped me figure that out and figure out different news stories because you have different kinds of clients. Um, I was so young compared to the rest of the people in that particular area of AAP and I felt very young and I didn't know a lot. Um, And I learnt from older older members of staff about, like, why this is a story 
why this matters for people. Um, and I used to get constantly called up because, you know, you would get on the international wire, blah, 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 has died, aged 89. I'd be like, who's this person? Like, <laughs> Emily, just like the greatest jazz singer of all time. You're uncultured and uncouth and young. And, um, so I just sort of, yeah, it, it taught me a lot, but it wasn't at that stage. I just was desperate to be on the road and I just really wanted to be a reporter. And so um, when the opportunity came back up to get back into radio reporting, I just had to do it. I just desperately wanted it. So how did that eventuate? I think the um, the arrogance of youth <laughs> came mm. into play a bit. I don't think I'd do it now uh, like I did. I just got um, sort of someone had said they were interested in a, in me for a job and I thought, yeah, that'd be good. But, you know, I still, I still really want to work for 2GB. Um, so I called Ian Ferguson, the news director, and I said, look, someone's looking at offering me a job, I'm going to tell them this afternoon, yes or no. I think I'll take it, but, you know, I want to work for you and that's what I want. And he's like, oh, give me an hour and call back and offer me a job. And I was just like, great, this is amazing. Nice, um, gutsy manoeuvre, good negotiation. Well oh, done. I mean, look, to be fair, the salary I negotiated was appalling. <laughs> so it wasn't a very good negotiation. Um, mm. But um, I was so thrilled and I... Um, I, like I just, you know, you're, you're 21, like you just do these things and you have no idea what you're doing. Um, and then I went in on the Monday to start and Ferg goes to me, was it true? Did you really have like any other interest? And I went, oh, yeah, like I mean, I'm not overselling it, but, yeah, there was, someone was calling and, and was thinking of me because uh, I would have respected you if you'd said no anyway. <laughs> and I was like, that's ah. great. <laughs> He's like, I liked your bullshitness. And I thought, uh, <laughs> it worked. Um, oh, oh, yeah, gosh. that was terrific. I was just so thrilled after a, to like a roundabout way, a bit over a year, but I, I got back to 2GP. I was just so happy about it. So getting to that point where you observed it in a work experience sense, you observed it in a, a freelance sense and then to be on board as a, a full-time in, employee, was that a satisfying progression or ladder climb to oh, yeah. end, up, end, end up at that place where you, you know, originally did work experience? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think for me personally I had to uh, go about it. I couldn't just go from intern to, to staff member. Um, not that it was ever an option. Justin Kelly made that quite mm. clear. He said, go learn your chops. And I think that was good because um, then I felt like I came back and, like, look, I'm still young and junior. Um, but I, I have gone out and, and done some other things so I can not come in so raw. Um, but it was a thrill. It was such a thrill to, to be colleagues with the people that uh, helped me um, when I was an intern to become their colleague was an enormous, um, yeah, an enormous thrill. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was that not around the sort of same stage as 2GB were heading down the, the path of, of live news and their own website yes. and then also social media was becoming oh. more of a component, more of a people were trying to work out, well, how do we actually use this to engage our audience off the radio? How was that sort of transitioning experience for you in that early days of, of social media and using websites mm. to sort of spread uh, the news that you were covering on the radio? Yeah, like I think um, it was before the the days of, uh, of Twitter um, and in a way I sort of got off the road actually before Twitter happened, which I don't know how, I don't know how court reporters do it now um, as a former court reporter. I, I, you're just so busy taking notes. I don't know how they do it now, tweet and take notes and what have you. Um, uh, it was really challenging. I think we didn't really have a clue what we were doing in that sense. Jason Morrison was um, was... I think he was current affairs director then. Anyway, it was my boss. He was one of my bosses. Um, and he was really big into that sort of live. I mean, he, you know, Jason is just so passionate about radio and, and news. Um, and that was really, he was really big into let's do things differently. Um, and, you know, we'd have little sessions where he would show us and play us um, what, like, uh, news organisations around the world were doing. And I just remember being really, really excited and invigorated about that. And Erin Ma was quite into that as well. Um, and it just made us feel like, yeah, no, it, you know, it's, it's so different to now because it was so early. But 
and this idea of filing to online, which we had no idea about. Um, uh, like it was really, we, we were, like when I was there, it was pretty new, but we're trying to figure it out. And I think we were experimental. And the good thing about um, that organisation at the time was that they they were really willing to try and to give it a go. So when you come back and you're sort of a young reporter and you're tasked with that responsibility, but you're still pretty much learning how to do it, how did you handle the pressure of working at the number one radio station mm. in Sydney, having to put all of these components together? So being available to do crosses on program, like you said, filing to that online, and also your commitments just to the hourly and, and half-hourly news. People don't understand. It's just like they hear your 30-second voice on the radio and they think you're done. But there is a whole lot of pressure, particularly at 2GB, mm. with its... I guess it's it, the, it prides itself on its accuracy and you know getting that information out there quickly. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a lot of pressure. It, it was a lot of pressure. You did feel it. Um, it was it was a sort of a sink or swim environment, um, which I loved. I thought that was terrific because it was there was no holding your hand. You were here's your assignment. This is what you've got to do. Go do it um, and. And you had to prove yourself in, in the midst of doing that. And I like that because I just like just getting in and 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 I felt uh, I like that responsibility. Um, but it's that is really, really tough. Um, and uh, I think like a lot of the pressure because of the, because it was number one and a lot of pressure came from programming for like we want this information, we want this first, um, you know, we want these, ta- we want this talent, we want this cross. And, and so you kind of... Um, also facilitating that, which was um, working out how to figure out your priorities and your deadlines, and it was really tricky. And also, really, this might sound so simple, but getting to a job because in radio, oh, yeah. you're the only one that's there. Like you don't have a, a cameraman, and or I mean, their soundos barely exist anymore. But you, there's no one else there. You're driving. So you are like, and this is the day before Satnas. You have got your Gregory's on your lap. Scooting through, you've got 15 minutes to get to a press conference. You have no idea what the press conference is. You're trying to find your way through. Part of Sydney, you don't know. Um, and, Jesus, I really know I know my Western Sydney really well because we've um, now, because you drove through, like, you know, all the suburbs so much. Um, but that's that in itself was an enormous pressure just to get to a job. And, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was really tough. But when you got it and you went to the air and you had the story, there it was. No, there's no bigger thrill, really. It's such a for a professional, you know, as in a professional thrill. It's amazing. I'm, surpri- I'm, I'm surprised, given the what you've just said there, is that more radio reporters weren't involved in car crashes at that time. Because you're I right, the, the Gregory's on the on the lap. Oh, you yeah. might you might be taking a phone call at the same time. You're listening yeah. to what's going on on air, and it's oh. just like, how the hell do I get to this bloody job that's out at wherever, um, yeah, knowing that you yeah. need to be there for that and report back and do a live cross and then also have a, a thing like it's just, like I said, I'm surprised there, yeah. there, there wasn't more reports of, of radio reporters crashing yeah. their cars. And because you're in this heavily marked uh, radio car, you can't drive, <laughs> you can't be an aggressive driver, you can't beep if someone's in your way because they will call the talkback line and they will complain about you and your boss will call you and say, why did you cut that white Ford off at that intersection? We've had complaints. So, yeah, <laughs> it was quite the things you don't think about when you're in journalism school about the things that you have to actually do and when it comes to it. It's funny how you reflect back on what was probably the most stressful thing that you'd ever done in your life up until that point, but then mm. five, ten years down the track, you can look back and, and laugh about the situation, whereas in that moment it is probably life or death for you. Oh, yeah. Depending on what the, the story was at the at the time. Oh, yeah. If you didn't get that grab back, you just felt awful. Like, you just felt terrible. Perspective is a wonderful thing. I think that kind of also comes with um, <laughs> like a bit of age. But you're like, okay, if this doesn't happen because of that, it, it's not the end of the world. But when you are 22, it's your first big, big break, it is everything that you get that grab back. <laughs> And that you get that key park in front of the press conference to allow you the best time to um to make it. There are a lot of rubbish days, but there are also a lot of 
really good days and you're able to, if you nail that cross or if you nail that voice report or if you get something on the air first and it goes seamlessly, there is no better feeling than that adrenaline rush that you get and it's hard to replicate. Yeah, and um, that you know something first is, is, is amazing and it's such a privilege and that you get to share it and I think that's like, um, when I did courts, um, because, you know, courts isn't televised or it wasn't then, um, and you are actually sharing information that only the people in that courtroom know about at that time. You are sharing a verdict that only the 20 or 30 people there know about. And it's, um, it's an adrenaline rush and a huge... Um, a huge privilege to be able to do that. You mentioned courts there a couple of times. You were also on the police round as well. And I just, I actually just filled in on police. Uh, mine was never a police reporter. I just uh, filled in a bit for for Laura Tunstall every now and then. How was the different rounds though? So courts and police, and then general, and then the yeah. fact that you actually got to really be across everything all of the yeah. time, so that. You might be at a at a court story, but that's not going to eventuate for a couple of hours. So you get a call from the newsroom to go to a sports job or a finance yeah. job or something like that. How does it? How difficult is it to switch gears in your head? It's funny, I actually kind of forgot about that, but yeah, that happened all the time. Um, yeah, you do. You had to really be across it, but you were because you were you were interested in it, um, and you knew how to do research quickly. Um, uh, but yeah, it was it was what was harder. I found that if I was covering a story um, that I'd been like following for a while, and I thought, oh, we're going to get to a point that's a good story, and they'd go, no, you're, you're coming off that. The Premier's making an announcement now. State party reporters tied up. You got to go, and you would be really devastated because <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm just I've followed this trial for four weeks, and we're we're at the verdict and now you're taking me off it um and that was really I always used to argue a lot about that please keep me but it was yeah it's, it is hard to switch it's so hard for general reporters because you never know what you're doing that day but it's also like the best part of being a general reporter is that you never know what you're doing I guess with the courts as well just having to again what we discussed earlier about the judgments may take half an hour an hour to read you've got to pick out the best 30 seconds. Or well, you know what the verdict yeah. is, like, in terms of that. Like, that's the obvious part. But also there might be other important or relevant bits of information that may be quite complex and you have to decide what is worthy and what is not worthy of going into a story. I mean, you can obviously use them if you're doing several different versions of it, but having to... I guess that first time around, just decide and make judgment on the run, if you'll pardon the pun, yeah. on to, to what to yeah. put in, what's relevant for the audience. Yeah, and, and also um, with legal stories, what you have to put in that, that, that makes it legally uh, correct. Um, so it's, it is really tricky. I think um, with, with court is also, and actually press conferences, everything, knowing... You would always, um, well, that everyone always sort of leaves it to the latest that they can file so they don't miss something. So when you when you think you're in a good place to leave the, the area, the courtroom or what have you, to go and actually file for that hour. Um, and that's where I think um, developing good relationships with other journalists become really key because you can't be across everything, be on air, be on everything. Um, so you need to have a good relationship so if you duck out to file for that three minutes and you come back and you miss um you know oh hey the defendant just yelled in court um you well, you had such a good relationship with people that you knew that they're not going you know you're they're, they're going to help you out in that sense um and that's really key i guess trust is a big issue there as well in terms of you quickly find out who you can trust in that scenario and who's going to sort of let you down. And um, also it's learning from older hands, as it were, yeah. that have covered courts for a long time that will sort of run you through, I guess, a few of the, the procedures or a few of the court-related intricacies that are involved in reporting on a, on a story. Yeah, absolutely. And there were, um, uh, when I was there, there were, I think I started with a whole bunch of new court reporters uh, and then there was a half there that um, on the round and the other networks that were that had been there for ages, and we 
um, we're so reliant on their knowledge um, that uh, there's Marg and Amy Coops at AAP who are incredible um, and Jamel Wells as well who had sort of uh, been around a fair, uh, of course, a fair bit and knew what they were doing and, and they were so generous with their knowledge um, and you, you had to pay it back and you would pay it back in ways that you could like, all right, I'll do the calls for this list today or I made all these calls to, um, you know, the registry so he can find out the next dates because that was my way of paying it back. Um, but they don't have to do all that and it's just out of the, the care they have for the stories that they want to make sure everyone is telling them right. It seems as though around like that, and I've sort of spoken to Gil Taylor and Kelly Fedor, that it is very much a bit of a click in many ways because you're there every day, you see everybody every day, and then for the occasional reporter that just drops in for the odd big story, it's like, you know, who are these guys encroaching on our our, our little turf or our little patch? Yeah, yeah, and you know what it's. I mean, you know, it's like when you are that reporter that's encroaching in um, or, um, uh, yeah, it, or you just go, oh, that's, you know, that sucks. This person, I followed this story for months. Um, but I kind of got it because I, I went to Beaconsfield, um, you know, for the mining collapse. Yeah. I don't know how, I forget, how long were they down? They were there for, what, two weeks or something? Yeah, yeah, I, about that. I got sent... Um, the day that they got out, I was in the plane or, or like about to get on the plane the day they got out. I was the most unpopular person in Beaconsfield. You didn't that, have to um, sleep in the car. Exactly. <laughs> and, I, I think, and I just, I was like, oh, God, it was awful because <laughs> everyone hated me. And I kind of got it later, um, later when I felt really protective about stories. I'm like, who's this jerk that's swanning in now? <laughs> and that was me and I, yeah. I was God, you're the one that swarmed in. So how long was it before you sort of, I guess, wrapped things up at, at GB and then headed overseas for a bit? Yeah, um, about 24 when I decided like just out of, I mean, I still loved the job and I would have um, done it for years, but I just thought at 24, oh, this is a good time. I had all these uni mates that were overseas and travelling. Um, and uh, Victoria Owens, who I was working with at 2GB at the time, and we old mates from uni, um, we decided to go and do a bit of travel. So we packed up and went, and I ended up being there for seven years overseas. Wow. So I've just seen that long. You don't seem to like you've been <laughs> away for that long. Now you say it like seven years, it's fair, uh, it's a fair slab. It is a really long time. It's a really long time. It was most of my um, professional career um, up to like, you know, a year ago. It was overseas, which it's not, I just thought I was going over for a year uh, to check it out and it just sort of kept going. It's generally how it sort of happens. The best plans are no plans, but you sort yeah. of, you were doing a couple of, of crosses there back to GB yes. in the, I guess, early stages just because you were there and you're able to sort of file the voice or if there's big news yeah. events happening um, in the UK or Europe or anything like that, you're able to sort of do that. How, what was that experience like knowing that, okay, I'm not actually physically in the country <laughs> but my voice is going to be heard at any particular time of the day by, I don't know, <laughs> friends, family, relatives or yeah. whatever. That's super cool, isn't it? Oh, it was great. My um, my mum loved it. <laughs> she loved it uh, that she got to hear me. I thought it was just really important um, to keep the skills up because I it took me ages to, to properly get a job and uh, um, after I mucked around travelling for a year, it took me ages to get a foot in the industry over there and so I thought I was just going to do everything I could to just keep the skills up and, if you know, I wanted, I like, selfishly, I wanted my voice still out there so that if I came back that I wasn't this sort of strange entity that people still had at least heard of me, perhaps, maybe. Um, and I got to cross a lot to uh, Andrew Moore because of the time difference, um, overnight London time. He was doing Owen, He was doing that sort of breakfast shift before Alan Jones at that stage. Mm, I believe it was called Wake Up Australia. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we would do this cross and I would totally forget that I was on air uh, and I was just thinking I was chatting to Andrew. <laughs> That's how he makes you feel anyway. Um, <laughs> so it was really good fun because I, I got to cover these big stories that I would never have got to cover but simply because... I was the only person there and I did it for free. <laughs> so they took me. Yeah, uh, free. 
news organisations like the word free when you're offering services. But again, like you say, it's about maintaining those relationships and, you know, keeping yourself front of mind just in case an opportunity sort of comes up. So um, that would have been one of those things that, you know, you probably would have been happy to do while you were travelling and seeing the world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, and it did pay off because um, uh, when the royal wedding, Kate and Will got married, um, Aaron Ma uh, contacted me and said, do you want to work for us and do a week's worth of work up for that? And, um, and so it paid off because it was like it was proper, um, proper assignment. Uh, so I thought, okay, great. Well, I've done a lot of things that are just, just to get this kind of opportunity. So it was terrific. So take us through the process of trying to secure a job while you're in the UK. I mean, as you mentioned, it's quite difficult to break in because you think about having to go back to square one here, but the market over there is just so much bigger and so much more competitive in that regards. Yeah, it, it was really hard. And I um, I went at the worst possible time because it was 2009 2010 and that was the global financial crisis and and in the UK it really hit really hard and people were getting laid off everywhere um uh, and it was just it was a massive struggle and it was really I mean and I went with um the wrong school set so if anyone's listening to this and is wanting to travel overseas don't do what I did um I sort of went blindly into it a bit um knowing that I'd have to I'd, you know I'd have to work my ass off but Really, in reality, I should have found out what the jobs are in and and, and got my skills up to that stage before going over. So, um, like, there were not there were no jobs going in radio, and that was the basis of my experience. All the jobs were in TV producing, and I, I really didn't have any like it's it's practical, um, you know, cutting and editing and calling and chasing and all that kind of producing, and I didn't have that. And so, in a competitive field. Um, it was it was near impossible, and it took me uh, like a good nine months of really solidly trying before I got my first break, which was um, an internship. It was a paid internship. It was like five pounds an hour, so it's pretty rubbish pay at CNN Digital, and that was my my break in, and it led to everything else. So, so did you feel like you're the work experience kid again? Yes, yes, and I, um, it, yeah, it did. It was you know, and you, it was quite. Um, like I was, by that stage, I was so grateful to have a job that um, I didn't mind. But it, you know, sometimes you've been t- you've been told how to suck eggs, and it was that was a bit hard to swallow. But then I was also really conscious of the fact that there, that was a really competitive position, and I just needed to thank my lucky stars I got it. And I didn't know anything about digital really properly, and I, I learned a lot um, about that and feature writing because I worked on their features team, so I learned a lot. It was a three month internship. Which wasn't an internship. It was it was cheap labour because there was nothing interny about it. Really, I was writing for them. So that uh, decision by you to sort of put pride aside, put the <laughs> ego aside, and just roll up the sleeves with the ultimate goal in mind of getting further up the chain, as it were, in an international market. Were you conscious that that would look good for you? if and when you decided to return home? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought um, the experience would be really good. I like. I, I thought also um, it, it was good to learn how other places um, tell stories and also how they how they cover events and, and the different stories that they cover because um, at that stage my sort of like the scope of stories was, um, was fairly narrow. You know, it didn't have this big sort of international... Um, understanding so it it taught me a lot and I thought you know it'd be really good to learn how other places do things um, and get that sort of experience I thought it would work I thought it couldn't hurt there's no way it could hurt so yeah no it was I was aware of it yeah so how was it that you ended up with the ABC and then managed to find your way back here um, and do what you do now with ABC News Breakfast um, through um, at C- CNN in uh, London, it's there are so many Australians there, and um, uh, through that, uh, they uh, I met other you know Aussies that sort of were more experienced and, and better journalists than me that helped me a lot, um, and they gave me a lot of contacts, and um, so I got some work uh, at BBC Radio, which was terrific, and um, some other bits and pieces, and then. One day this Australian uh, producer, Susanna Polk, who had done the odd bit of freelancing for ABC 
uh, for the ABC's Europe Bureau, which was in London. Um, she couldn't do a shift that they offered. It was a really hectic time for European news and they were slammed and they needed someone and she couldn't do it and she put my name forward and um, that was it. I started doing a bit of work here and there and then their coordinating producer job came up um, and I took it and I had four years in that role and it was the four of the most fun years ever. Um, but it was wonderful. I never thought working at CNN would get me my foot in the door at ABC because I just thought ABC when I was at uni, oh, that's just too big a bit. I'll never get in there. That's too good. That's too big. Mm. So I never thought um, an American news organisation would be my foot in. Just making that realisation and joining those dots must have been a bit of an, an eye-opener for you in terms of, okay, this is obviously just based around formulating relationships and people move from place to place to place. So doing that inner work, networking, really can set up your career. Oh, absolutely. And and I think like um, being um, smart about it in the sense that you've got to offer something um, or people have to know you or trust you. You can't blindly go up to someone and go, hey, I heard you work for ABC. Can you give me um, their, their phone number and who the best contact is? And that happens to me a fair bit. Um, it happened to me a lot in London. Oh, I got your number from someone. Um, who's the best person to get in the door here with? And you just think, I don't know you. Like <laughs> I have what? no idea you. So, um, uh, yeah, it's quite, I mean, good. This, I mean, it's great that people are ballsy, but you just sort of go, I can't give you um like, you know, it's my, it is also your reputation when you're recommending someone and you've got to be really conscious of the fact that when you're asking someone for something that you've got to prove yourself to them first. Um, and, you know, I was working with these people for three months before I had sort of said, oh, look, my my time's sort of coming up at CNN and I'm, I need, I'm desperate for work and can I buy you breakfast and sit down and can you just give me advice? I'm not asking for your contacts. I'm asking just for your advice. Um, and uh, you find that people are really generous. And I, I think if you just realise that they've worked really hard to get those contacts and you just can't expect people to give them to you, but take their advice. It's all about people's advice. These people know what they're doing. Just be a sponge, absolute sponge. What is it that you enjoy most about what you do now, having moved back, to, I guess, yeah. move cities as well, like to, yeah. to, to Melbourne. What was what was that like originally when you sort of had the the job offer to sort of move to to Melbourne and and take that take that on? Oh, it was really daunting because um, I didn't know, having been sort of remote at the ABC, like working in the bureau, and and I didn't have these relationships with people at the ABC, so they only knew me by email really or or um what they had heard and I just that was daunting um I moved here because my my husband's from Melbourne so that was sort of the, the plan uh but I wanted to work for News Breakfast because I um had heard amazing things about them um but I didn't know much about it because News Breakfast started when I had already moved overseas so I barely had I'd filed into it like, I'd worked on stories for it um, but I'd never sat down and, like, watched it in the morning because it wasn't there. So it was really scary, really daunting and a really different job to what I, uh, what I do now is so different to what I um, um, had been doing. So, yeah, there were, uh, there were some times when I was like, well, what am I doing? What have I done? <laughs> I'm out of my depth. I don't know what I'm doing. Do you think having that lack of knowledge may have given you a bit of an, an edge in some regards in that you were coming in with a fresh set of eyes so it was something that you could perhaps work out what you kind of needed to do and put your own style to it? Yeah, look, I think um, I had to, like what I struggled with, so I'm, I'm the, um, like I'm, what, it's, it's sort of kind of like a lineup. We do things with, a bit differently. I'm the supervising producer there and you're kind of like the lineup producer in other networks. Uh, and I just hadn't done that kind of stuff before. So I think I felt really like, uh, you know, there are um, 21-year-olds here that are just fresh out of uni who have all these amazing skills, like practical skills. They know how to uh, cut a piece of Olay so quickly. They know how to, you know, find something from the internet and play it and all this sort of stuff. And they just knew it. And I just felt like 
oh my god, I swear I I'm I have more experience than I'm showing. Um, and it was really hard. It was really hard. But I had to just keep it in my head like I'm here for a reason. They tr- they trusted me for a reason and just could keep going. You just have to keep going and admit what you don't know. And don't be afraid to ask. Um, don't be afraid to ask the intern, how did they do it? Like don't be arrogant about it. If they know how to do something that you don't know, ask them. Bluffing never works. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it, it, you get caught out in live TV when you have no idea. And um, when you're working with some experienced operators, like I'm, I'm fortunate enough to work with, um, like in, you know, Michael Rowland and Virginia Trioli, you can't bluff. you got to know because you, you don't get away with much. No, and you get found out really quickly. Yes, yes, you do. Um, like if they throw to something and you haven't done it and you find out and, and yeah, that's on air, <laughs> um, you do get found out very quickly. We'll wrap things up in a sec, but before I, I let you go and you've been super generous with your time, really appreciate it. What would your advice be to someone now that's looking to break into media, someone that was perhaps like yourself that had their sights set on pursuing a career from a, a young age and, and has gone through the, the progression to, to university or even, you know, perhaps gone down the, the work experience path like you did? What would your advice be to them? It would be work experience. Get as much experience as possible. Ask questions. Ask good questions. Um, ask any questions. There is no such thing as a bad question. Um, ask for feedback. I'm, um, I know you see Kelly and she talked a lot about feedback and the importance of it. And she's so right. Feedback at every single stage of your career from the beginning to the, you know, to the end. Feedback so important. And listen to people. But... Um, just do it. This is being, it is such a fantastic job. Uh, it is so much fun. It is such a privilege. Some days you're like, I can't believe this is work and I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. You meet the most amazing people. And just like speaking to you, Ralph, you know these people, we've known each other for 12 years and it just, it's such a really amazing camaraderie um, between the industry. Uh, it's not the cut or throat like environment that people it is a supportive um, and challenging industry and it is um, if you're passionate about news and storytelling and listening to people it's uh, it is the best industry to get into Emily Smith thanks very much for your time thank you thank you very much there she is Emily Smith and if you really enjoyed my chat today with Emily please let her know by sending her a tweet she's at Emily Journo. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in Apple Podcasts, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or review. That way, more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.